What a, a crazy game. The Kings break the second out of a back-to-back -back curse. They were 0 for 4 on the season coming into this. They finally break the curse and they win on the second out of a back-to-back, -back, but it was not easy against the Orlando Magic. Double overtime, 138, 135, and I am mentally, emotionally just drained. Like sometimes after an exciting game like this, I'm pumped up. You know, I'm like, let's go. I'm ready to, you know, talk about it. But I, this one, I'm just like, I just want to go to bed. Like, <laughs> that was exhausting. I think a, a part of that has to do with, I felt like it was important to win this game because of how we lost the last game against the Hornets. But we saw some of the same mistakes in terms of the, the turnovers in this game. But I thought, I mean, we, we played pretty well. I mean, this is a, a good Magic team. Franz Wagner went out early. He only played five minutes, and they're a little shorthanded, but they're still a solid team. And they are statistically the worst three-point shooting team in the league. And they come in, they go 25 for 44. I mean, they that's insane. 57%. They went 44 for 90 from the field. So they shot a lot better from three than they did from the field. And the Kings were able to battle through that and just grit out a win. And this is not the Kings playing against the Warriors and you're, you know, kind of leaving Steph Curry and Klay Thompson or even like a, a worse team. Like, I don't know, this, this not a, not a worse team, uh, like a not Steph Curry and Klay Thompson level of shooters, right? Like maybe, I don't know, the Celtics or really any other team where you're just like, you're leaving them open and that's why they're hitting a bunch. Like this is a, a bad shooting magic team. You have Paolo Bancaro going six for nine. You have Jalen Suggs who has improved, but it's still not a great three-point shooter going six for 12 and hitting some really tough ones. You have Caleb Houston going four for six. You have Anthony Black hitting one for one. You have Wendell Carter Jr. going three for three. You have Chumu, Chuma Okeke hitting three for four. The Kings game plan was obviously to make them shoot from beyond the arc. And the Magic did that. I thought the Kings actually executed the game plan defensively pretty well. They were forcing a lot of tough shots. Sure, there were some moments where they left them open and the Magic made made them pay. But the Kings did a great job of protecting the paint. They did a great job, actually, of guarding Paolo Bancaro. You look at his stat line, 43 points, right? you would think, oh, we didn't do a good job of guarding him. But what are you going to do when he goes six for nine from three and he's hitting every jumper? There's, not, there's nothing you can do. I mean, he is unstoppable when he's knocking down his jumper. He even went 11 for 14 from the free throw line. He did have eight turnovers, and that was a problem for both teams, 20 turnovers for the Magic. And I'm getting different numbers for the Kings. Actually, I'm getting different numbers for both. Some say 20 turnovers turnovers for the magic some say 21 and then for the kings it's either 21 or 17 so i don't know i don't know what the right number is but either way it was a lot of turnovers for both teams i mean i don't know what's going on with the kings i don't know what's going on with sabonis he just can't hold on to the ball right now i mean there was one where he was just dribbling up the court nobody even put pressure on him and he just lost the ball 
right to the other team. Like, it's just really weird. Two games in a row of the Kings not being able to hold on to the ball. But it's weird to say. But I think it really has been the Kings' defense that has been better than the offense in these last couple of games. Even with the loss against Charlotte, I didn't think it was really a defensive problem, at least not until late in that game. And in this game, I mean, there were times where the offense just couldn't get anything, especially in the overtimes, and that happens a lot of times. In overtime, where guys are just tired, especially with both of these teams being on the second night of a back-to-back. I mean, everyone was tired. De'Aaron Fox had probably his worst game of the season. He shot 6 for 22, 0 for 5 from 3. He was forced into some really tough shots, but you could just see he was he really wasn't trying to get to his spots inside the arc very much. Like he just looked exhausted out there. He played big minutes last night, and so it had to be other guys that picked it up. The other guys were horrible against Charlotte. And Malik Monk didn't play very many minutes against Charlotte. So he was fresh because he was bad. And he turned it around in this one played 46 minutes and scored 37 points and it was very reminiscent of that game against the Clippers last season that went to double overtime where Fox looked exhausted he you know against the Clippers Fox kind of carried us to a point and then he just looked exhausted and so he passed the baton off to Monk and Monk's like I got it whereas this one it, it was more Monk the entire game but still him carrying the load offensively. And after the last game, I talked about the Kings' issues of only having Fox and Monk to create off the dribble. And Fox wasn't doing too much creating off the dribble, and so it had to be Monk. And Keegan was a lot better in this one, so that was a big help. And then Barnes was also better and more aggressive but Malik Monk is just he's incredible he he is the most impactful bench player in the league I want to just go over the the end of this game because you know I mean I'll talk about the start of this game later the first three and a half quarters but I mean let's just jump straight to the end I mean Paolo could not miss a shot it was all Monk and Sabonis on the other end and then you had Fox taking a pretty tough midi that he missed. And then Paolo comes down the other end, hits that three to go up two. And that was a moment where I feel like we really, you know, we missed an opportunity with that Fox jumper to attack and extend the lead. And I was like, you know, I know he's Darren Fox, but he could not hit a shot. And you have Monk just absolutely cooking. I was like, why don't you go to him? And that's what they did on the next play, where he ties it. Then Fox, who, you know, I thought he he had a horrible offensive game. There's no doubt. His defense was really good, though, especially in the crucial moments. He used the foul to give on Paolo. And then the Kings denied Paolo the ball, which was the the biggest thing. They forced it to go to Jalen Suggs, who had been incredible, but... Fox played great defense on him, forced him into a tough shot, and he missed. The Kings then didn't get a timeout. There was like one second left when Monk caught the ball, and it looked like Mike Brown was trying to call a timeout, but they didn't give it to him. The first of many 
questionable calls, but moving on to overtime, like I kind of wrote down most of the things, most of the scoring plays that happened. And then once it got to double overtime, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. So we can just go by the, the, the ESPN play by play at that point, you have a, a Paolo three and then the Kings just could not get anything going offensively. It was totally stagnant. So then what happens with all the three point luck that the magic have been having just insane shooting, you get a Barnes one-legged <laughs> banked in three-pointer to tie the game. That the the effects of that shot cannot be understated. That that was an insane shot and so important to tie this game because in overtime, th- this game never it was never more than a three-point deficit on either side for I think it was like over the last 16 minutes of the game. So both overtimes and the like the second half of the fourth quarter, because I felt like if the magic got up by two possessions with the way our offense was playing, I don't know if we were coming back, but then again, there were a lot of times where I was like, mm, I don't know if, I don't know if we're going to be able to get enough offensively. And then we would. So you know, maybe we would have been able to do it, but that seemed like a super, important shot I was thinking we should have gone with Trey Lyles early and he did go to the scorers table at one point and they got called back but they were able to get it inside to Sabonis who was great in this game super efficient and went I mean he had a triple double another triple double he's been getting so many and he had it really early in the third quarter he ended with 22 points 12 assists 23 rebounds again the the turnovers are a problem but his defense was really, really good. So good in this one. And he did it without fouling for the most part, which was really impressive, especially against Paolo and this Magic team. But he got to the line. He hit one. Then you had that Monk steal, or he got out in transition, and he totally got fouled. They didn't call it and lost the ball. And the we needed that because we couldn't get a good shot in the half court at all. And then Paolo hit that midi for the lead. Just every single one was just like a dagger. Every mid-range or three-pointer from Paolo or any of just any of those uh, magic players. There was, I can't remember exactly when it was, when, but when Goga Bataze had that corner three, I was like, there's no way this is going to go in, right? And thankfully it didn't. But man, that was that was scary. The Magic were blitzing Malik Monk, which was very smart for the most part, but he finally got free on one, and the Kings were doing the same to Paolo. And so both teams were just trying to get their guy to the middle of the floor so they couldn't blitz him. Monk was able to get free for that layup, one-point lead. Then Paolo gets to the line, so they have a one-point lead. Then Domas gets a big screen onto someone. I think that was Queen. Which it was very odd because when he was on the ground, I was like, oh, did he, did Domas get away with the moving screen? No. He just stood there and the guy just ran straight into his shoulder. It was really weird. There was like zero awareness. But he set that big screen and then got the feed from Monk for the dunk. And I swear, Domas would still be like a max player in this league if all he did was rebound the ball and set screens. The value of his screens 
is actually insane. He is the best screen setter in the NBA. And lately he has been, like we already knew he was a great rebounder, but he's been on an absolute tear on the boards. The Kings with uh, 18 offensive rebounds to the Magic 7 and 58 rebounds to the Magic's 39 total. Then the Kings were playing some pretty good uh, defense. Monk got to the free throw line, only made one. So the Kings are up two. Magic have no timeouts. There's seven seconds left, I believe it was. Paolo drives to the other end, just loses it out of bounds. Loses it straight out of bounds by himself, runs over Keegan, and they initially called it King's ball, and then somehow switch it. No Kings player ever touched it, and they gave it to the Magic, and it was should have been called a charge. That was insane. And actually, back up a little, there was also a play where Trey Lyles drew a charge. I think he drew three charges in this game. That was very good defense from him, and... It's funny that I saw some people saying that that was a BS charge call when those same people are the ones that hate when guys don't make an attempt on the ball and just try to stand under a player to get a charge. When in this case, Trey Lyles actually went up to try to contest the shot, which is how it should be uh, officiated. You know, you should have to make it a basketball play to actually draw a charge. And Trey did in that instance, and he just got run over by Paolo. But after they switched that call, it's so stupid that they can't review those calls when they obviously have no idea who it was off of. But then also to reverse a call, I mean, that was really bad. And there was just so much going on. And then all of a sudden, the Magic are inbounding. And then all of a sudden, Paolo gets it, and he just lays it up. I'm just like, I don't even know what just happened. But Trey Lyles committed to try to take uh, the pass to Paolo away. And so Paolo goes towards the rim and JTA, who got put in the game to guard Paolo, also went the same way Lyles went towards the three-point line. So then they were able to get it into Paolo. Keegan had a nice contest, but Paolo was too strong and he finished through it. And the Kings got a pretty good look with Monk coming off and getting a a three-point attempt for the win, but uh, he missed that. Juan Toscano-Anderson... Came in for a few defensive plays, and it was just after Barnes got blown by a few times. I think Barnes's legs at a certain point just went, and he could not stay in front of Paolo, which is understandable, but I think Barnes did a pretty good job for most of the game on Paolo. I mean, Suggs couldn't miss from three, and he made that huge one in, in double overtime. Then Monk responded. Then Paolo got to the line, and then Fox finally did something. And he responded, and then Suggs again, three-pointer. I'm just like, oh my god, this is, we're actually going to lose this game. There's like two minutes left, and Malik missed a three. And then Keegan got the offensive rebound, passed it to Fox, relocated to the three-point line. Fox passes it out to him, and he drains a three. I'll get to Keegan, but he had a, a great game. But he wasn't even shooting the three that well, but that was a massive clutch three. And then Fox came down, scored again. He got it going a little bit in double overtime. Then he got fouled, missed the first free throw, made the second. Of course, you know, just have to make it interesting, right? And that that's a big problem for the Kings, free throw shooting. But 
Then they played really good defense, and Paolo missed that final shot. I mean, the Kings' free throw shooting. Like, this game would have been over multiple times if they could just make free throws. Uh, They went 21 for 31 from the line. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty frustrating to watch how many points this team leaves at the line. So with the poor free throw shooting, the turnovers, the Magic's three-point shooting, the Kings never being able to win on the second out of a back-to-back, somehow we still came out with the win. Fox shooting absolutely horribly, and somehow we still came out with the win. Just, uh, you know, all those games I've talked about, you know, blowout after blowout, and all I wanted was a little bit of fight. Well, here was a, a, a lot of bit of fight. And fight that would, we definitely didn't see against the Hornets. I'm definitely not going to go through the rest of the game like I normally do. Because that's just, I don't know, that's too much. So I'll just more go through the players more individually or the rotations that we saw. So Duarte gets the start again. But he got an early foul trouble, picked up an early two, got pulled, didn't play for most of the first half. Came back in to start the second half and then fouled again and only played 10 minutes in this game. So I think the biggest reason that he didn't really get run was obviously one, not being able to to control his physicality and fouling. But then beyond that, I think you look at the size of the Magic and where their best players are and their best players are Paolo and Franz, at least in the first half when Dorte was still out there. And those aren't guys that Dorte is going to be guarding. And so it's just not as important for his defensive presence to be out there against a team like the Magic. So you can go either a little bigger or just with Monk more. And I'm glad we just went with Monk more. That was very much the right decision. Fox, he was just, I mean, he was taking bad shots. He, he, wasn't getting to his spots. He couldn't, he was taking contested threes, went 0 for 5, went 6 for 22 on the game, was taking tough mid-range shots, wasn't really getting to the rim at all, and the game with only 15 points, and so that is why it was key that Keegan was finding his way, and he was doing it inside the three-point arc. There was a point where he hadn't hit a three, and I think he had like 18 points without hitting a three. Most of it was in the first half. He created it off the dribble himself. I think he had 10 in the first quarter. Went right by Franz late in the shot clock on one. Had another towering dunk. Two for six from three. So that means he went 11 for 15 from inside the three-point arc. That is huge. He was knocking down the middies. I know people are frustrated with the inconsistency, but we just have to remember he's a second-year player, and that's just very common, the inconsistencies for a second-year player. But you can see in these moments where they're becoming more and more frequent, and you can see him getting comfortable with certain moves that we didn't see him doing at all last season, and that is just being able to take a a few dribbles inside the three-point line putting his body into a guy and then rising up and fading away. And I always expect those to go in because it looks so good. And even earlier in the season, he wasn't doing that. He he wasn't rising up in the spots that he should from the mid-range. He's a really good shooter. So 
you know, when he's open in that mid-range area, he should be shooting. And he's been doing it more and more as of late. And they've just got to go down. And I have the utmost belief that they will consistently go down at some point. He got the double-double with 28 points and 12 rebounds. Barnes did a pretty good job one-on-one with Paolo. And I say one-on-one. Like, of course, he had help. But in terms of forcing him, Paolo into that help and just keeping him in front of him, again, there's just not much you can do when he's knocking down the jumper. But Barnes was also solid offensively, just knocking down threes and getting to the free throw line as well. And obviously the three-point shooting is is important, but I think getting to the foul line and getting some buckets inside is even more important for him. And for this offense, especially when Fox isn't playing super well offensively. And then I already touched on Sabonis, but from the jump, you know, he's getting being guarded by Gogo Bataze. And even off the bench, you look at Wendell Carter Jr. or even Mo Wagner, like none of those guys can really guard him. And so he was creating a lot and, and making the defense collapse a lot. And the only thing he needs to clean up is the turnovers. And these aren't turnovers where, you know, he's just making a bad pass usually. It's just turnovers where he's losing the ball. He's losing the handle on the ball. And that's just not something we see very often from him usually. So, you know, uh, he'll clean that up. Off the bench, uh, we had JaVale McGee minutes. Eight for eight minutes for him. I don't really know why Alex Len wasn't playing. Uh, that just seemed really weird to me. But, I mean, they were solid JaVale minutes. There was nothing crazy. He was fine. You know, he was a presence inside. Went one for three from the free throw line, which wasn't great, but two for two from the field. Did his job in the eight minutes. Nothing crazy. I just, you know, I would ha- rather have Alex Lynn out there. Same can be said for Davion Mitchell. I was fine with giving him another shot, and he played well for a few games, but... I'm just, I I just don't need any more Davion at this point. I'm good. Keon, Keon, maybe he didn't have the best run of games, but his bad games are just so much better than Davion's normal games, I feel like. Just just from the aspect of when he's standing at the three-point line, guys have to respect him. And there were so many times where Davion's standing at the three-point line and There's just nobody even close to him. And then when he gets the ball, he doesn't look at the rim. He went 0 for 2 from the three-point line in this one and just clogged up the offense. He did a good job of drawing a moving screen at one point. You know, that's something he does well. But activity on the defensive end, I just don't think it's worth it, especially when you have a guy like Keon, who I think can do very similar things. Trey Lyles came off the bench 22 minutes. He, you know, he's just, he's a roller coaster in terms of his three-point shot. Not in terms of really his impact, but in terms of his three-point shot, definitely. It's a roller coaster. But right now, he's on the up. Two for three from three, and he finished with 10 points. Three offensive rebounds. The Kings definitely benefiting from rebounding. And coming into the season, I, I didn't think rebounding would be a, a major strength of this team, but it absolutely has been. We have won games through our rebounding, and it's just been super impactful. 
And like I said earlier, Lyle's taking those charges solid defensively. Kevin Herter had 18 minutes, and they were not pretty minutes. Like, he he has gone from just being bad to being absolutely unplayable. I don't know what is going on with the dude. 0 for 4 from 3. 0 for 5 from the field. He came up. He missed a 3-point shot. He goes down to the other end. Gets a block, I think. They didn't give him credit for the block. So he impacted the shot. Maybe someone else blocked it. I don't know. He was, you know, he's playing, he was playing defense, right? He comes up in transition the other end. Kings have numbers. We're running. And he just pulls up for three. He hadn't made a shot all game. And he just pulls up for three and clanks it. Some of these misses are so bad. Some of his decision making is so bad. Yeah, his 18 minutes were pretty rough. I mean, the defensive end was actually fine, which is weird. You know, it's it, it's the offensive end that's such a problem for him. He had his seven rebounds. And like I said, he was impacting some shots, but he just cannot score the basketball right now. He ended with two points when he got to the free throw line at one point. And then, of course, you have Malik Monk, 37 points, <laughs> nine assists, seven for 13 from three. And there was a point where it was just him and Paolo going back and forth. And, well, I guess that's what the entire overtime periods were. But, I mean, earlier in the game in terms of three-point shooting. And the Kings had a 12-point lead at halftime. And, you know, it felt great. It felt like the Kings were playing super well. The Magic were knocking down shots. And it was like, okay, they'll cool off. We're up by 12 the defense has been really good. Again, just getting unlucky with the shot making. The offense has been solid. And then the second half comes and it's like, now they're still making shots. And then we turn the ball over a few times and it's like, oh my God, we're, we're going to throw another game away like against the Hornets. I mean, at least this one, it would have been more like, okay, the Magic beat us just with great shooting. Unlucky. But the turnovers were definitely infuriating. At least we were forcing a lot of turnovers on the other end. But I, I would say one thing I liked is the Kings, when they when they went down or when the Magic were hitting a bunch of threes, there weren't a lot of times where they tried to respond because that's something that I've gotten mad at this this team for before, where they just try to answer back from the three point line and. It's like, okay, the Magic are hitting all their threes. We're not. You know, we're shooting a, a reasonable percentage. But that doesn't mean we should just be coming down and jacking up a bunch of threes, Kevin Herter. You know, we should be trying to get into the paint. And the Kings absolutely dominated the paint and just kept chipping away. Didn't let what the Magic were doing on the offensive end affect them on the offensive end. So I thought that was really important. On the defensive end... The Kings did a really good job of protecting the paint. Sabonis was great in terms of his verticality. Lyles was really good inside. The only thing that was bad were, you know, a couple times there were missed rotations, but I feel like that's just kind of going to happen on the second night of a back-to-back, -back, especially late in this game. You're not going to be perfect. Barnes' screen navigation continues to be pretty bad, and in the first quarter it led to a lot of their baskets. But, like I said, he was solid on the ball. I am talking about the Magic's three-point shooting a lot, and the Kings shot 15 for 40, 37.5%. There was a point where I think they hit seven out of seven 
in the second quarter. And that was led by the bench. It was led by Monk and and Lyles. I think Barnes also got in on the action there. It's kind of funny to look at the box score because you have on the Kings four guys who made threes. And then you look at the Magic and it's like everyone has a three. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven different guys hit threes uh, and a lot of them more than like three or more threes for most of those guys. It would really be nice if Herder could just hit one three, just just one one a game at least. Uh, I feel like his struggles. I mean, he has no confidence. Obviously, I mean, he's a big confidence player, but he really looks like even when he's dribbling into the paint, he just looks like he has no plan on what's what what is going to happen. He's going to dribble in and he's going to maybe leave his feet and either throw the ball at the rim or just like chug it out to the perimeter. And I really, I noticed that on one play and he checked it out to the perimeter and Monk just hit a three. I'm like, you did not deserve that assist, but okay. The end of the third quarter is definitely something to talk about. Um, JaVale randomly fouled Paolo out at half court when they were in the bonus to pretty much gift them a two for one and just free throws, you know, in general, very odd, uh, you know, classic JaVale moment. That's why I want Alex Len. But then also something that has bothered me the entire season, it, it it kills me, is the Kings coming down nine second differential, shot clock, game clock. Okay, nine seconds is big enough where you just should not worry about it, right? You should just run your offense and get the best shot possible. But no, what do the Kings do? They just take a bunch of time off the clock, then get into their offense. The first action doesn't work. Oh, now it's a shot clock violation. Like you're you're gifting them instead of a two for one, it's a two for zero for the magic now. Like why? And the Kings have done it all season and it makes no sense. Like the math on that does not math. You're giving the other team the same amount of possessions and just making your possession way worse for no reason. There's no point to be running that much time. Like, yeah, maybe instead of nine seconds, the magic would get thirteen seconds, but that's worth you getting a good shot because the difference between 9 and 13 it's really not that big especially when the magic will want to take the final shot anyways so they will probably just hold the ball for that four second differential anyways so it doesn't matter at all it's just tough seeing the kings constantly mess up end of quarter situations and like gifting the other team momentum for no reason at the start of the fourth the Kings went to a smaller lineup. Like, we didn't see JaVale McGee out there. Trey Lyles at the five. And the Kings just kept running pick and pop with Lyles. And it was working pretty well. Lyles was either getting open or he was getting space to get into the lane. So I liked that small lineup. That was pretty good. But then, you know, KK couldn't miss. And Sabonis started turning the ball over. And Herter was missing because we had Monk and Fox both out of the game. Like, Fox wasn't himself, but at least he was able to run the pick and pop with Lyles and get Lyles the ball. And, you know, when they went out, the offense just totally stagnated. And then Monk came back in, thankfully, and put an end to the the magic run. And there were a lot of key offensive rebounds in the fourth quarter and in the overtimes that helped the Kings' offense, even though it was pretty stagnant at a lot of points at one point when this game just kept going 
I was like, I mean, Kevin Herter might have to come back into this game, you know, just because guys are going to be tired. And I'm like, I want a Rodney Hood moment where Rodney Hood, it was like three overtimes in the playoffs or fourth overtime, and he's on Portland, and he just comes in and starts knocking down threes just out of nowhere. I was like, Herter's going to come in. He's going to hit some big shots. Thankfully, that wasn't necessary. But I thought I thought there was a chance. I'm like, maybe Herter comes into this game and just starts hitting shots. Sasha Vezinkov has been out of the rotation, which like I'm fine with just because of the defensive aspect of it. But at the same time, you have Kevin Herter in the rotation. But it's like, how do you take Kevin Herter out? He's making like $17.5 million. You know how valuable he can be. Like, he, you can't take him out of the rotation. He's too important. We have to eventually get him going. Like, taking him out, I feel like that would be a mistake, even though in the short term, that may be what's best and putting Sasha in there to, like, maybe actually hit a shot. But I think we have to think more long term and Herder has to keep playing so he can find his groove. Because just like Lyles, his shot making is a roller coaster. The problem is, I think, when his shots aren't going down, he's unlike Lyles in two ways. One, expectations are higher. He's getting paid more. He's in a more important role. Well, now his role isn't as important. But two, he just doesn't find other ways to impact the game as much as Lyles does. But he has the higher upside on offense. And so we just, you know... This is a, a long way down on the roller coaster, but we just, you know, we got to wait it out and it'll eventually start coming back up the other way. I mean, it has to at some point. I'm just so glad the Kings won this game because, you know, I'm already just, you know, mentally, emotionally exhausted from it. But imagine if they lost, especially with the way the refs screwed us at the end of the first overtime. Like we shouldn't have even had to go to a second overtime. But that would not have been fun at all. And I am just thankful every day Malik Monk is on this team. People, you know, are talking about, oh, he's going to be a free agent. What if he leaves? Yeah, I'm not I'm not worried about that right now. Like, I'm just enjoying having <laughs> Monk on our team right now. And that was a big win after that, that Hornets game. You know, it uh, would have been a, a rough homestand if we started 0-2 and, and then we go into some tougher games. I mean, we, we play the Raptors. I don't know if that's a tougher game, but they just made that trade and have gotten a couple solid wins since then. Quickly's been solid. Barrett's been solid. And then the one the game after that is against our kryptonite, the New Orleans Pelicans. I don't look forward to that game. Like, at, you know, at some point we got to beat them, right? But this upcoming game against the Raptors, I am definitely nervous because the Raptors are a team with two really good big wing players obviously in Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes and just you know the Magic had two big great wing players but uh, one of them got injured five minutes into the game so we didn't really get to see how that went but Barnes did a solid job on Paolo so I feel like Keegan would have been fine on Franz for the most part in this game, it will be Barnes on Siakam almost certainly, and Keegan taking Scotty Barnes. Keegan has struggled, like I talked about all season. He's struggled with stronger guys, and Scotty can definitely put his body into him. So we'll see how he handles that. And then Barnes, 
I can just already see all the spin moves that Siakam's going to put on Barnes. It's not going to be fun, but you just got to be able to protect the paint and offer help just like we did against Paolo. Probably a pretty similar game plan. Uh, the Raptors do have more shooting now, but I think you still got to make them prove it from the outside. Similar to the way we defended the Magic. Anyways, that is it for this episode of the Roll Report. I'm sure there's a bunch of stuff I missed about this game. It was just, it was so long. And so much of it, it just like mushed together. But a very exciting win. I am exhausted, but I'll be back to recap that game against the Toronto Raptors. Peace.